Hello and welcome to our podcast. I'm your host, Howard Drukarsh. And for those who don't know me, I've been a successful realtor in Canada's largest market for over 30 years. And towards the latter part of my career, I co-founded Canada's largest independent brokerage, Right at Home Realty, with a roster of over 5,500 agents and growing. In 2020, I retired to start this podcast, and it's been a wonderful opportunity to meet incredibly fascinating people, hear about their careers, and hear about their insights into our business. And today's guest is one of those people, Will Smith, President and CEO of Knightsbridge Development Corporation. Will, welcome to the program. Thanks, Howard, and thank you very much again for uh, inviting me to uh, be on your podcast. It's a great honor. Thank you. Um, so why don't I start with kind of questions that I think uh, our viewers generally are interested in when we have our, our guests. Uh, what was your background before you, you started in real estate? So um, initially, I started out um, in university in the civil engineering program. Um, about halfway through the program, I figured out I did not want to be a uh, practicing engineer living in a cubicle. So I made the decision that... Uh, I would look at what other opportunities that there were for someone with that educational background. I was very fortunate because my uh, my family actually owned uh, a small construction company as well as a millwork company that I had worked in throughout most of my school years. Uh, and that kind of started me down the road uh, towards real estate and development. It uh, began with construction in the family's business, but um, it led to, from that experience and my degree, uh, me entering into the real estate and development industry, again, initially through construction and then working my way through each of the aspects of the cycle. Uh, it's given me a huge opportunity uh, in so much as I've worked on most sides of the uh, development process. Uh, I had the good fortune to work both on the owner's side, um, the tenant side, and on the brokerage side during my time with CBRE, where uh, I headed up global corporate services. So um, that having been said, what it allowed was it allowed me to take that knowledge, figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the meantime, work in pretty much every market in North America, uh, most of Europe and parts of Asia. So uh, like I said, it really was uh, the worst or longest route ever to go into the family business. <laughs> okay. Where, where was uh, the family business located? Right, right here in Toronto, uh, which makes it even sadder because, of course, you know, like every good uh, son, you know, you look at this thing and say, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do something different. Right, right. Uh, probably could have saved myself uh, a number of years in building my career had I just listened. But, you know, it's interesting having having experience and, you know, in this business um, at so many levels, I would think, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, means that when you're dealing with um well, any other people that you have to deal with, other uh, people in, you know, in real estate, finance people, uh, marketing people, uh, construction people, you've got all the skills from having done it firsthand. And, and I would think that that puts you in good shape when you're starting to negotiate things. It, it, you know what? It's a huge advantage. Um, you know, if, if for no other reason, at least you can sit down across the table from someone and you're talking to each other, neither side's talking down, neither side's trying to figure out you know, what's he saying. Uh, it provides some common ground. And I think really that's the key in what we do because we work in real estate, we work in development, but at the end of the day, what we really do is we work relationships and we work with people. And uh, I, because yeah. that's really where the industry is, is 
taken itself. And you know, it's interesting. I tell people um, when I was involved with uh, with the company and and recruiting people, and you know, the 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 product is bricks and mortar, but you really are dealing with people. Like you have to be good with people more, well, equal to what you have to know the product. But if you're not good at dealing with people, you won't survive, right? Hundred percent, and and that that holds true across all facets of what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's having the people skills to be able to sit across the table in a boardroom, but it's also having the people skills to be able to talk to uh, the people who are part of your team, uh, who are all obviously always at different parts of their careers, different uh, levels of experience. And you want to nurture those people. You want to bring them along. And to do that, you really have to know how to, to speak to people, how to embrace uh, where they are. And remember, it took you a long time to get there. And then the other side of it as well is, and I do this when I tour our sites, um, I equally have no problem speaking to trades. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'll often ask them how things are going, if they have obstacles, et cetera, because again, it comes down to communication, people skills, and basically recognizing that we need to value every single person who's part of our process. I think to me, that's the, and people who watch our podcast learn a lot about successful people. Because, you know, we, we are fortunate to invite successful people. And, and I think what you, what you gain from this is everybody says the same things about how they became successful. It, it is about dealing with people. It's about having knowledge. Uh, and without, without a doubt, it's perseverance. I mean, that's, that's, that's without a doubt the thing that makes people successful. It's very true. You know, it's, it's interesting. If you look at uh, some of the most successful people not just in our industry, but in the world, they weren't successful overnight. And in fact, many of them had a number of failures before they reached success. Mm-hmm. But the common denominator is that attitude of perseverance, never giving up and learning from our mistakes so we don't repeat them. Yeah, and the learning from, our, and I, I just, um, I have a podcast, uh, uh, that many that I listen to, and then I, I do some things that I listen to and I add them to my own uh, social media. But one of the things was that you learn, you, you learn from your successes, but you learn more from your mistakes. Absolutely. Isn't that it? I, on your point about everybody starts at the bottom, I, happen to, I have a poster at home that I put on my social media today, and it's a, it's a poster of the Beatles in their first North American um, presentation with three other groups. I can't remember um, off the top of my head. Anyway, the ticket price in 1964 to see the Beatles was $5. So they they didn't start at the top, clearly. Nope. But uh, no, nope. it's true. And I think, but people, look where they went. Yeah, they did well. I think yeah. the people who watch us uh, gain these insights, and I think that's why uh, Adam and I have done this podcast. When I when I have guests, one of the things they they enjoy is they get a chance to talk about themselves and their career that in a normal business setting you never get to talk about. Right? You're just kind of dealing with the business at hand. I think the other side of that is, um, you know, as we get on in our careers and as we become more senior within whatever organization we may be working with, I think our focus changes and it's far less about us and it's far more about the future. You know, whether it's mentoring, uh, whether it's the search for and retention of good talent, um, you know, definitely our focus changes from inward to outward. I think, yeah, and I think that doesn't come without years of experience but you're right it's it's a journey i mean at the end of the day it's a journey 
Let me get to your company. When, when did Knightsbridge begin, and what was the vision you had for your company? So Knightsbridge uh, initially started up in about 15 years ago. Um, at that time, though, it was basically a pure advisory company. Um, so obviously, we dealt with much smaller clients than we do today. Um, happy to say some of those clients we still represent. Uh, so I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, but, you know, the vision of the company really, as we grew, never changed because our vision was always to maintain and grow our client base. It was create an environment where uh, most of our business was repeat clients, happy clients, ones that felt that we valued them um, as being part of our success. And today, we basically look at about an 80% uh, of our business coming from our existing clients. That maintaining of the vision piece, though, was a goal to provide our clients with breakthrough strategies and solutions for their real estate needs. It didn't just look at today, but they looked at how it would expand with their business and what opportunities they may want to consider, not for today, but for the future. And again, most importantly, um, and it's the one thing that's resonant through everything we do, we view ourselves and our clients as being in a relationship business, not a transaction business. So for us, it's it's not the ones ofs and twos ofs. It's, you know, we, we want to work for the same people. We want to work for them over and over again. Um, many times we'll have clients call us up and they just want advice. You know, what do you think I should do here? We never skirt from that. Like we're always happy to have conversations because it's not always about, you know, being putting your salesman's hat on. Um, really, it's about taking care of the people who have got you where you are. Mm -hmm. For those that don't know um, about Knightsbridge, what, what are the main uh, business interests of your company? So our company's become fairly diverse. Um, we're an integrated uh, company in so much as we still provide um, advisory services. We still provide development management services, um, but we basically have them now spread out between different types of services or business lines, um, but also between different geographic regions. So currently under Knightsbridge Development Corporation, uh, we operate within Canada, we, uh, right across the country for the most part, through offices in Vancouver, Calgary, uh, Toronto, uh, Montreal, and Halifax. Um, likewise, we have a subsidiary company uh, that services Latin and South America, which is uh, Desarrollos at Nice Bridge Limitada. It's located in San Jose, Costa Rica. And we have an office in London in the UK, uh, which by the name, you can kind of figure out there's a little bit of a connection point to, uh, to the UK. Um, those businesses predominantly work as uh, service providers to other developers. Um, so in addition to that, uh, within the South American uh, branch, we also own a construction company. Um, the construction company is uh, Pan Am Construction Managers, where we provide pre-construction and construction management services. Um, that company we acquired, so it's been in business about 20 years. Um, one of the things about it that helps us is we often use the pre-construction part uh, not so much as a service that we sell, but sometimes it's 
service that helps us internally on our development side or on our client representation side. So we figured, we figured out a long time ago that there was a good model for integration there. Um, the most recent addition to Knightsbridge is actually Knightsbridge Equities Corporation, and it by its name uh, obviously is the equity piece of the company that um, acts as a general partner on our own developments, uh, which again, we've kind of evolved into, uh, I'm going to call it a non-threatening uh, developer role, i.e. we don't compete with our clients who are usually larger REITs, uh, publicly traded companies, etc. And for us, uh, we see our we see our niche uh, in that aspect of the business being in secondary markets. So, uh, you know, for for us, we're looking at uh, you know urban infill sites. Uh, we're looking at hotel hospitality sites, uh, and we're also looking at purpose built apartment rentals. Given given the situation between affordable housing and just in some markets, uh, for example, Halifax. Um, the vacancy rate is so low. Basically, if you take take away the apartments you don't want to live in, it's zero. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's, those are areas where often the bigger players don't look because they don't need to go to that market. I mean, they're they're happy being in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. So uh, that's that's sort of how we've grown and integrated our businesses. But we've always made sure that whatever we do, uh, we never compete with a client or turn our back on a client. We view them as uh, they say, integrated services. They're kept separate. They're managed separately. Um, and we keep pretty strong governance rules around that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the industry, um, how has it changed since you began? How would you define the biggest changes? The industry has evolved uh, from a purchase and sale of properties uh, to really the support of clients through data and market research to assist in the process of informed decisions. We've, we've become, uh, as an industry, uh, far more technology-based. Uh, we see a movement away from just, you know, the traditional brokerage market reports, which we've always relied on as an industry. Um, you know, they provide good analytics based on historical data. But we're now starting to see the industry move into true analytics, use of uh, AI, um, they're starting to look at not just what's the, what does the building look like, where's the building located, but what's around it? What does the work uh, look like and what does life after work look like if a tenant were to go into that building? And I think that's coming in response to the fact that, you know, tenants are looking at bricks and mortar, but they're also looking beyond, you know, they're, they're looking at the urban landscape and we need to address that. And I think that, you know, a lot of the large brokerages have done an amazing job of making that transition and have invested a fair amount of money in that evolution from, as I say, just a, a purchase and sale arrangement into a, uh, I'm going to say, an informed advisor or a trusted advisor. Um, we've also seen, you know, the, the evolution into uh, having to understand I'll call it non-traditional selection criteria. Uh, th- those things consist of uh, sustainability issues, uh, carbon neutrality, um, how the how the developments and how the developer ties in with the tenant's corporate ESG uh, or environmental and social governance. Because again, those are all becoming really important in today's market, where you have younger and younger CEOs. 
uh, they are looking at more social issues as well as commercial interests. And quite often, it's the intangibles that make a difference in some ways to their site selection process. So we've really seen um, the brokerage community and our industry in general from a developer perspective We've had to go from being a specialist who truly understands how to put a building together to more of a, a large team of specialists and each one of those teams addressing a different aspect. So it's, it's definitely, again, uh, caused a huge growth both in skill sets that are required uh, as well as the service lines that are provided. And, and I think it's been great for the industry. Well, it sounds like it's evolved, and that's one of the things that keeps you going in business, right? You you must evolve, uh, and certainly be be at the same level as your customers, or you lose them. So it sounds like your company is doing that. You know, we've all come through the pandemic, um, or almost through it. it. Sounds like mostly through it. How, we're how, hoping we're through. <laughs> we're hoping we're we're at stage three, I believe. Um, how is the pandemic? How did that affect your business? I've got to say, uh, more through exceptional luck than management, um, we're very fortunate. We had minimal impact business-wise. Um, all of our sites, we weren't not shut down. We had no shutdown by the province uh, here. We had no shutdowns related to uh, COVID, COVID restrictions. We definitely increased our I guess, understanding of what we needed to do to provide safe work sites. So increased costs, but you can't put a price on people. Mm -hmm. So we, we made sure that we did everything from rapid screen testing, uh, increased um, you know, sanitary stations, uh, increased cleanings. Uh, and you know that part of it's great, but it's one thing to say you, you weren't affected on the business side. I will say on the people side, um, it was hard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, during the times when people were working from home, there's a sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, I think humans are basically social animals. Uh, and in our industry, let's face it, we, we all you know, rely on communication and being able to talk or reach out to people. So what we found is we, uh, we had to make adjustments. And some of those adjustments consisted of you know additional touch bases making sure people were okay um, we threw uh, virtual socials where it had nothing to do with work it was kind of the equivalent of hey if you went out for a beer after work what would you talk about mm -hmm. um, so you know what from that side of things uh, we tried to help our people from a you know people work perspective uh, we already kind of work in a flex model uh, in so much as we've got to be on sites, we've got to be in meetings in other offices. So we're, we were very fortunate in that we were already set up with a lot of the tools that maybe some other industries had to adapt to. Um, but like I said, I think for us, while work wasn't affected, but, you know, we continue to watch our people uh, because they're incredibly important to me personally. Uh, and they're incredibly important to the business. And, and we value every one of them and their families. I think that's a great attitude, and, and I think you know, every company is coming out of this struggling with this idea of flex schedule, you know, what what's going to be satisfactory not only to the employee, but what's satisfactory to the employer, and uh, I think it's, a, it, it's an issue that has yet to be completely solved until everybody's sort of dealing with it, but um, 
obviously you're right. Your industry has already been dealing with that. So it's not a huge, other than, you know, the social animal part, which everybody misses. Um, it sounds like you're in good shape on that end. So, you know, that, that sounds good. The, 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 um, the business, as you said, has changed. If you're going to project for, if you're going to project for five or even 10 years down the road, uh, how, how would you see things changing in the work that uh, Knightsbridge does? Well, I think, you know, for us and for our industry, uh, COVID-19 has actually accelerated change in the real estate industry. It's forced us to look at things that perhaps we didn't think about uh, or didn't think about as deeply uh, pre-COVID. You know, we see an increased focus on safety and wellness. Uh, and that, that is for basically our business, but also for the built environments we create. Um, we're also seeing the real estate industry as having a chance to actually take the lead in using planning and development skills, our investment capital to reshape our work and our lifestyle environments. But the problem with that is we can't do it alone. Uh, we need the support of all three levels of government. Um, and I think we're getting there. Because let's face it, it um, one of the things that COVID really brought forward or into the forefront in people's minds is the social differences that exist within the great cities we live in. Uh, so I think that you know, it's really opened up our mind to that uh, that aspect of it. I think you're. Uh, I think it's you know over the next five to ten years, you're also going to see. Um, while there's a continued interest in, as I call them, the, you know, the economic power centers, the Toronto's, the Vancouver's, I think there will be an increase um, in development in secondary markets, especially markets that are well-connected via transit, whether it's rapid rail um, or what have you. Um, so I think, you know, between the ability to have flex working, the movement of people because i think we've all had people who decided during COVID, well if i'm working from home anyway i'm going to move to here wherever here may be um and you know it's, it's one of those things where now you got to try and figure that out uh and so for some businesses i mean they're going to follow the talent and you know the talent may not decide and we and we've seen this like you know in past uh cycles in places like california i mean businesses left true Silicon Valley because people, you know, that were, I'm going to say the best and brightest preferred to live in say San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you, you see, you've seen that adaptation of the built environment and you've seen basically the real estate industry have to react to it. Um, I think there's a, I think really at the end of the day, in the next five to 10 years, what it's going to provide us the opportunity for is to take our industry from good to great and beyond. Because I think we're at a point now where collectively um, we, we can improve on what's already an amazing uh, industry and an amazing contributor to the economy. Mm -hmm. um, in, in terms of, again, your own company, what are the projects that you've done in the past that you're, you're most proud of? Um, I think one of, the, one of the ones that always sits in the kind of back of my mind because I, I, I continually do look back on it. It was it was an early project, um, but it was a project that it kind of summed up everything we believed in um, and everything we valued. And that project was um, finding a new home for EPCOR in Alberta. 
and finding a location for the EPCOR tower, which is located in Edmonton. Now that project was completed almost 10 years ago. Um, and we, you know, we were part of the process in terms of doing all the space uh, programming, the analysis, we wrote the RFPs, we wrote the Schedule B uh, design criteria, we did the RFP, and you know, we eventually helped them pick a developer uh, who was going to be you know, the creator of their new home. So eventually the project uh, went through its process. We picked Qualico and the station land site. And one of the things I think that makes it stick out in my mind is that one office tower was the catalyst for the gentrification and redevelopment of that entire area. Mm. Uh, you know, you saw all of a sudden through you know, uh, the Rexall Center and the mixed use development around it, uh, people living in the downtown of Edmonton. Mm -hmm. uh, you saw people, you know, going to entertainment venues after work. They didn't necessarily have to go home and then go somewhere else. So I think for us, it, it embodied everything, including um, our deep belief in uh, sustainability and the environment in so much as uh, it was a lead gold tower, which 10 years ago was probably about as good as most people got. Um, it identified the needs of people working in the building. Uh, so in some ways, very far ahead of its time. Everything from daycare facilities, bike and shower facilities, EV uh, charging stations, you know, again, much of this at the forefront of what we see today or what we think of today is just, uh, okay, so everybody's got that. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I'm, I'm really proud of that because I think we were part of what was a contribution to a change to a city, not just a building. It's really um, remarkable. Um, you've done so many projects. If you know, just to give the uh, the viewers an idea of the size that you do, what's the what's the smallest you've done, and what's the largest that you've done? It, it's quite a swing. <laughs> so, um, the smallest project we've probably done is we we actually did a a tie inspired spa. It was a standalone building, very high end, um, where a lot of the materials were imported from Thailand. Um, so the very, very little of it was contrived, if you will. It was mostly purchased and then shipped so that it could be used. Um, you know, that that project, uh, it was about 4,000 square feet in size. So not, not a big building. Um, it's probably got a slightly inflated value because at the end of the day, it was about a $1.6 million project. But a lot of that was due to the materiality of the project and the cost of uh, of those materials and bringing them in, but you know if you think about if you think about that versus our large our largest project to date, which is the well, uh, the mixed use site here in the city of Toronto, um, we work on that and we're still working on that. We've been on it for about five years now. To, to uh, we still have a couple more till we get done. To give people um, an idea, it's, of a, it's a joint venture between Rio Can and Allied Properties. That one has a value of one point three billion dollars. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting site, almost like Station Lands, because I believe it's a game changer. Uh, it's a site that has just under eight acres. Um, it's about 15% of which is, um, I'm going to say, uh, retail area, uh, about 36% to office. We've got residential, both in condominiums and in rental. Um, 
it's really symbolizing the creation of a small city within a city. Uh, there's you know great amenities, including a food hall that's going in. Um, it blends in with the local community. Um, Adamson and BDP did an exceptional job in the design of the space so that it reflects that industrial feel, if you will, architecturally of the area. Um, and again, it, it symbolizes our values. We're, uh, we're lead platinum for the office, we're lead gold for the retail and for the residential. Um, we've incorporated district energy through N-Wave for deep uh, lake cooling and heating. Um, so really what we've done is, you know, we've, we've created an urban landscape that adds to the community's enjoyment. Uh, a large portion of our area, about one third of the site, is actually publicly accessible space. Um, you know, we've created sort of gathering areas. We've created places where people can come together and meet and, and talk. Uh, so it's, it's more than just another, you know, mixed use development where it's all jammed in with lots of, uh, you know, lots of buildings and not a lot of space in between. Uh, so we're, we're very proud of it and very proud of our, uh, our clients. Do you have, be, and of course, the well is well known in the industry for sure. I mean, real estate agents know about it and know, know what it's doing. Do you have any other uh, projects uh, coming up that you'd like to talk about? Anything else uh, either in Canada or outside of Canada? We actually have, um, we actually have a couple of interesting ones coming up. Uh, we have one that's in Canada and one that's outside of Canada. Um, so the first one, um, which we are really excited about, it's a purpose-built rental development in Halifax. Um, we're looking at adding 100 plus units uh, in a market where there really isn't anything. Uh, we're elevating the experience uh, in terms of rental accommodation. Um, so with that one, one of the things that we're excited about is it's it's in, I'll call it the trendy part of Halifax. Uh, and yes, there is a trendy part of Halifax. It's not all just quaint. Uh, it's very much like Queen West for people in Toronto if you want to try and identify with an area. So lots of, you know, um, microbreweries and rest, really good restaurants, et cetera. So again, we see this as, as something that will allow us to build something that fits into the community. And that's what we're doing with the architecture is we're making it so that it doesn't, it doesn't look like we just dropped the building from a space, you know, or tried to do a juxtapositioning between really, really modern and everything else. And the other side of it is we identified that, you know, society's changing and more and more people are renting versus buying. So we've upped the, uh, the number of, for example, two bedroom suites in our design to make sure that there's basically a housing type for everybody. Um, and again, we, we feel that by applying our sustainability uh, practices, uh, we're going we're gonna to have a real positive impact on this area. And we, we hope that this, this is actually going to be our first project, first of all, in Nova Scotia. But we, uh, we really feel that it's a market that we will continue to do work in. Um, and we're pretty excited about it. The, uh, the other development is actually outside of the country. Uh, it's in Costa Rica. Um, and in Costa Rica, we're developing a fully sustainable community. Um, so basically, it's a, a community of uh, housing. Uh, it's geared towards both local people and expats. It's not a, you know, your traditional, I'll call it, uh, you know, vacation home gated community. The big plus for us is um, we're looking at a fully sustainable community. 
So we're looking to incorporate natural vegetation, local materials, uh, solar panels to reduce electrical costs and consumption because it's very expensive in Costa Rica. Uh, we're also looking at things like great water harvesting for, uh, for irrigation. And we're not just doing it on the homes, we're actually doing it on the common areas. So street lights, uh, you know, everything. We're looking at having solar power with obviously backup uh, of the utility but we're hoping to be able to minimize the use of the utilities and in some ways create a more affordable housing choice for local Costa Ricans. Uh, because again, the, the cost of ownership is one thing, the cost of maintaining the home and paying all the utilities is, is quite high. So, you know, we're really looking at it from a durability standpoint, from a, a reduction of uh, the cost of ownership down the road. Uh, and at the same time, providing quality product where, you know, regardless, you're going to be happy to be in the area. So again, we're, we're really excited about it. Uh, we're just in the planning stages on it. So we're going through with our architects to create our master plan. And we've had, uh, we've had actually very favorable response from the government in terms of what we're doing, because it ties in really well with their, their desire to accelerate their carbon neutrality as a country. So again, we're we're excited about it, and uh, we really look forward to you know, watching that grow and uh, be successful. Well, it sounds like two good two good projects. One of the things that happens when people listen or watch our podcasts is they get interested in the industry um, that the guests are in. So, and I'm sure you'll have people watching who um, are interested in working in the de- development field. Um, this is my last question for you, is how would you, or what would you say to recommend uh, people who are interested in getting into it? What, what's the best way to start? I think what you have to do is you, you, uh, you know, this is, this is where I'm going to start to sound like, uh, you know, my grandfather, but uh, mm-hmm. I think what you have to do, first of all, is you got to keep as open a mind as possible uh, and not go in with a preconceived notion of what part of the development industry or process you want to be involved in. I think that the more you can gain in terms of experience in the many facets, the better. Um, so you know, not starting with a predetermined uh, end goal is the first step. Uh, I think you, you know the biggest thing uh, that people need to get exposure to is the finance and the capital market side. Generally speaking, people who are really interested in development, they have the engineering background that seems to be where most people come from. Um, but you know, without that business acumen, uh, and it doesn't mean you have to have an MBA. Uh, it just means that you've got to put the time in working in that part of the business. Because mm-hmm. I think really the more you understand about the pieces that make up our industry, uh, the more you're going to understand the life cycle of real estate and how you fit in. So, uh, you know, I, I strongly encourage people to take whatever opportunity they can find, um, to, you know, to find companies that believe in true mentorship and you know i know in my case for example uh i have a couple of people who i i mentor uh from a distance in that they don't work for us um but they've reached out to me you know, whether it's through linkedin or through other channels and and just like you asked a similar question um because i think at the end of the day we're we're very fortunate like for those of us who are where we are today in our careers um you got to look back and you got to reach back and give the next people a hand up 
-hmm. And the only way that's going to happen, it's not just through education in our institutions, although obviously we have some pretty amazing programs now tied around construction, construction management, development. Um, you know, and if you really want to, you can do what I do. And you can take the Cordell program and at the uh, graduate school. Um, but, you know, it, it's not going to mean anything if you don't have the practical knowledge. So it's a little bit of getting your hands dirty. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I really, I think that's the big thing. But most importantly, find a place you love. Find a place that respects who you are and what you want to do, and it's going to help you get there. It's great advice. Great advice, Will. I know how busy you are because I just listened to all the things that your company is doing, so I want to thank you for taking time. Uh, we'd like to invite you back in the future to catch up on other projects that you're in. Um, but again, in the meantime, it's, it was great hearing from you. I, I really appreciate your time, and I wish you all the best on all these projects and continual growth for uh, Knightsbridge. Thank you. Well, Howard, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you inviting me. And uh, as always, I'm, uh, I'm always happy to, uh, to have a conversation. Okay. We'll look forward to doing that in the future. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks, Will. We'd like to thank Will Smith and you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcast network or on our YouTube channel. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email at info at rewithhd.com or on our website, rewithhd.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.